Today on Not Sam Wrestling, it's time to tell the story of the bad guy, Razor Ramon, here on Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. How's everybody doing? Oh, good. Marching closer and closer to WrestleMania. It is a great time to be a fan. A lot of fun stuff happening. Of course, there's a lot of stuff to talk about and stuff that we will talk about. I'm assuming in the next couple of weeks we'll do very WrestleMania-heavy shows. Of course, uh, both the Cody thing and the Austin thing picked up again. I I think day-to-day this week. I mean, last week, I guess it was. Early in the week, I don't know. Talks with WWE and Cody are on shaky grounds. And then later this week, it's back on, everybody. It's back. I I feel like, you know, there's like three people that are leaking stuff and speculating. And the rest of it is just us all interpreting. It's a big part of it. Interpretation is a huge part of it. And look, there's nothing wrong with with that. I think that uh, we, we rely on some people to interpret things for us. But with interpretation comes flaw. We'll see. I don't know. You know, I think that you had to leave Raw last week. You went in thinking Cody's going to be here this week. You left Raw thinking, that eh, maybe Cody will be there next week. You know, it's amazing. So again, we're going to see what happens. I think that we will see Cody in WWE. I think it will either happen at WrestleMania or maybe the WrestleMania after, but it doesn't really make sense to do. Unless the storyline is that he shows up the WrestleMania after Raw just so he could have screwed Seth out of a storyline. I mean, out of a WrestleMania match. Like, the storyline is, yeah, Seth, it could have been me and you at WrestleMania, and Seth is mad at him. Why did you debut today instead of yesterday? I don't know. The other thing is that now, I mean, the rumors are, Kevin Owens said on Raw, he said he was main eventing WrestleMania Saturday with Steve Austin. Kevin Owens would say something like that. But there are rumors now that that might be the last segment in the show. I have to believe that they will decide the last segment in the show on the day of the show. I think that the Austin thing is is kind of touch and go still. Not that it's not going to happen. But I think uh, they're probably not 100% on what exactly it's going to be, how much it will entail. And I think the more it entails, the more likely it is that it goes on last. My bold prediction, if it goes on last, that's because it's going to be even more significant than it would have been. My other prediction, if it is significant, I do not believe this is the last time we see Stone Cold Steve Austin in a WWE ring. I believe that if it is uh, good, if it comes across well, and if Austin feels good about it, then there is a strong likelihood that we get three matches out of Stone Cold Steve Austin between now and next year's WrestleMania, and that we may see, I still say, and I said this weeks ago, but I still say we may see Stone Cold's last match uh, next year at WrestleMania, not this year at WrestleMania. Tony Storm is out here making $10,000 in an hour, showing the world what you can do outside of wrestling. Congratulations to Tony Storm and launching that OnlyFans, Gable Steveson, is out here making headlines two years in a row. NCAA champion. And now he's off to WWE. And look, I mean, Disney pays a lot of money for Super Bowl champions to say, I'm going to Disney World after the Super Bowl. And this guy goes on his Twitter account after winning his second NCAA championship in as many years and tweets, I'm going to WrestleMania. He's already drafted to Raw. It'll be interesting to see how quickly they get him up. I mean, I'm sure he's training. He's got a pretty, pretty good base. But I've got to imagine that the fantasy is NCAA champion versus NCAA champion. Brock Lesnar versus Gable Steveson is an eventual match. Depending on whether or not Gable Steveson takes to pro wrestling to water the way like a Kurt Angle or somebody did, I think that, that, Gable Steveson is a guy that was built to have the torch passed to him by Brock Lesnar. If he's good at it, I think he will be, but I guess it remains to be seen. Uh, Look, regardless of all that, uh, I wanted to come on here today and talk about Scott Hall. 
Scott Hall is something that I've been thinking about all week. Of course, we talked about it a little bit last week um, because he was on life support. And I reflected, you know, I spent five or 10 minutes reflecting on Scott Hall. But I think, like most of us, we were hoping for the best, right? I think we were all hoping for a miracle. Even when we found out he was taken off life support, I think we were still hoping for a miracle when it was just said that his heart is still beating. And I didn't see it announced anywhere until the graphic came up at the beginning of Monday Night Raw at 8 p.m. Eastern on last Monday that said, you know, in memory of. And it announced that uh, Scott Hall, Razor Ramon, had passed. And then in the third hour of Raw, they put together that amazing video package. Uh, just uh, exquisite. They do such a good job at, at telling stories through video packages over at WWE. Uh, I was very, very fortunate to be able to spend a very little bit of time here and there with Scott Hall to share a couple of instances where where I could share conversations with him. I, I got to, I mean, I met Scott Hall, I guess, for the first time at like one of those signings or something when I was younger. But the first time I actually got to spend time with Scott Hall was Hall, his Hall of Fame weekend, was that WrestleMania 30 weekend when he went into the Hall of Fame. Uh, I've known X-Pac quite a while. And Sean Waltman is about as wonderful a person as you could ever hope to meet. And a few weeks before WrestleMania 30, we were messaging back and forth or texting or whatever. And he said, are you, are you coming out to WrestleMania? And I had not traveled for WrestleManias as a fan before. Up until that point, I had been to WrestleMania 29 because it was in New York. And I went to WrestleMania 24 in Orlando because there was a big media thing where they flew a bunch of people out there to just cover it as media. And I was able to wiener my way into the media bandwagon and, and get to WrestleMania that way. But I wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't making a ton of money. I was, it wasn't something that I, I did, but X-Pac messaged me and said, are you coming to WrestleMania? I was like, Oh, I'd love to, but I don't know. He was like, no, you got to come. You can come with me. You can be my guest. I'll get you in everywhere. I'm, you know, obviously I can't fly you out there, but I can get you in the talent hotel. Like, come as my guest, please. I want you to be there. And like, I was like, that is as special a thing as I could possibly think of. I, I, I couldn't imagine a nicer gesture. I was so honored to receive that invitation that I was like, yeah, I mean, I'll never regret this money being spent. So, and, you know, that's how wonderful my wife is, too, that it was like, Jess, X-Pac, I still, I should, he would probably far prefer I called him Sean, but I still call him X-Pac. I was like, X-Pac just asked if I wanted to go to WrestleMania with him. She was like, you have to fly to New Orleans. And I did. And, you know, I, I bought plane tickets. I And X-Pac was like, yeah, they said that, you know, we have to get our guest list in by a few weeks ago, but I'll send an email right now and you'll be fine. And I sent him my credit card info and everything and, and stayed there. And I mean, going into the talent hotel was an intense situation for me at that point. Cause I was like, I had interviewed people. So people knew who I was, but I certainly wasn't working with WWE in any way, shape or form. So I felt so out of place. Even though I was booked at the hotel and going to the proper place, I was still in that fan mode where I was just waiting for somebody to pick me up by the collar and throw me out of that hotel. But I got there and I texted X-Pac and he's like, yeah, come by the room, blah, blah, blah. And I ended up spending the weekend, you know, as his guest and hanging out with him and getting to hang out with Scott Hall a whole bunch during his Hall of Fame weekend. And I mean, you know, getting to see him kind of get his head together before he did the speech, sitting there in a hotel room where he was like, oh, I got this, I got this short speech worked out. I'm not sure if I'm going to do it, but I think it's perfect. And like, yeah, it was perfect. When I watched the video package back on Raw, I was like, that. I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. I, Scott, I think, when he did that Hall of Fame speech, he knew that that was his legacy. I think he heard those words in that video package. 
he he knew that this speech will last way longer than my body on this earth will. He knew that, I believe. And, and he nailed it. And then, you know, and then ever since then, whenever I was, saw him or ran into him, he was just, I mean, not only was he as warm as a person can be, and like every conversation I'm pinching myself going, that's Razor Ramon. Like, this is so insane. Not only was he as warm and welcoming as a person can be, but like he loved talking about wrestling. He loved talking about the business and he wasn't talking about the old days. He was talking about the stuff that was going on now. I remember seeing him sitting down with him and uh, eating Mexican food with him right before WrestleMania New York, uh, the 35 or whatever it was, Kofi Mania. And him giving his opinion on whether or not he thought Kofi was actually going to win and how the old man is going to respond to all these fans and everything. He was just, I mean, he was so cool. Scott was as cool as the Razor Ramon character. And I've done these podcasts a few times. I did one for Bray when they released him. I did one for Rey Mysterio when there was a conversation about whether or not he should be the 2K cover artist. I've done it here and there. But I thought if anyone deserved their story to be told on the podcast, the way I see it, it's Razor Ramon. And I spent the week kind of really wrapping my head around why this Razor Ramon character is so special. And the fact that, I mean, it resonated so far beyond just the typical wrestling fan base. I, uh, comedians that I had on the radio show, just everybody, people that don't even watch wrestling were coming up to me and going, hey man, Sorry about your loss. I went, what? And they went, Razor Ramon. And the reason they were saying that was not because they were actually, it's because they wanted to talk about it. It's be, not because it had anything to do with me, because it didn't have anything to do with me. It's because they, even though they're not huge wrestling fans, had an emotional connection growing up to that character. And they wanted to talk about it. And I loved that. And it, and it wasn't like, it's no question about the impact that the NWO and Scott Hall had. But it was it was Razor Ramon that was just as big for a generation and doing that just as well. So I thought today, tonight, this afternoon, this evening, this morning, whenever you're listening to this, I thought it was story time. So hey, yo. Oye, me, Chico. Scott Hall the performer was looked at as a potential star virtually from the moment he stepped into the industry. From his time in the NWA as Starship Coyote to becoming Magnum Scott Hall, a candidate to be the next Hulk Hogan in the AWA. He spent time in the early 90s in WWE as the Diamond Stud, but due to his timing and Scott's inexperience as well as various other factors, Nothing quite clicked right away. That is, of course, until the summer of 1992, when vignettes for a new superstar began airing on WWE television. A superstar by the name of Razor Ramon. Razor showed up towards the end of the vignette era in which many superstars would familiarize the audience with their character through a series of short skits that would run over the course of weeks before ever even entering the ring. It was done for the Million Dollar Man, for Dusty Rhodes, for the Mountie, for the Repo Man, for Erwin R. Scheister, better known as IRS, and of course, for Mr. Perfect, to vastly varying degrees of success. This time, we met a silk-shirted, slick-back, Razor Ramon, apparently a, a Cuban immigrant with a heavy accent, a greasy curl that draped down his forehead, and a propensity for wearing gold chains. He used words like Chico and Chica, most famously explaining that for him, the Chicas were for fun. And he bragged about the life of excess that he had made for himself, the the gold, the, the clothes, the women. It all seemed very familiar. 
for an, at the time, eight-year-old, the references were lost on me. But as a young adult cinephile, it became very clear that WWE was introducing their audience to the Fed's own version of Scarface's Tony Montana. Ironically, the edge, razors, no pun intended, may have been lost on the powers that be at the time, as Scott Hall later said that when he pitched the character, neither Vince McMahon nor Pat Patterson realized he was imitating Hollywood's most notorious drug kingpin, as neither one of them had seen Scarface. Regardless, Razor's tropical vignettes would continue at one point with him showing up in an iconic convertible complete with fuzzy dice and zebra fur interior. He referred to himself as the bad guy, another Scarface reference, and explained that he was oozing with machismo. From the beginning, Razor Ramon felt cool. He felt authentic, which was an even bigger accomplishment as he wasn't Cuban. He wasn't even from Florida, but he was undeniably cool. The type of unmistakable cool that people would literally try to mimic for decades to come. Razor Ramon made his WWE television debut in August of 1992, beating enhancement talent, who ironically was the real-life father of current WWE superstar Carmella. Razor came to the ring wearing a silk vest that matched his trunks. They were decorated with gold razor blades on the back. An athletic six foot seven with stubble and chest hair, he wore the gold chains that he had bragged about in his vignettes and made a choice that would stay with him his entire life. He chewed on a toothpick. Before the match, he handed his chains in a threatening manner to the ringside attendant. Eventually, before every match, he would tell the attendant, something happened to the gold, Chico? Something gonna happen to you. And in the move of all moves, he flicked his toothpick directly at his opponent. Razor's music was as cool as he was, laid back. And when he was described by commentators, Vince McMahon marveled at his size. And Mr. Perfect pointed out that Razor benefited from America, the land of opportunity, which is, of course, the plot to Scarface. It was literally said on commentary. All he wants is what he has coming to him, the world and everything in it. But even with a fake accent, doing an impression from a movie, there was something immediately different and unique about Razor. The rules of what shouldn't work didn't apply to this portrayal. After a disregard for the humanity of his opponent, Razor won the match with his finish showcasing for the first time a move that would be mimicked in the backyard of every kid for generations, the Razor's Edge. Razor went straight to the top as a villain in WWE. Within a month or so of his debut, he attacked then-champion and, of course, legend, Macho Man Randy Savage in a match with Ric Flair that actually allowed Ric Flair to defeat Randy and become WWE champion again. Razor immediately joined forces with Ric Flair, Mr. Perfect, and Bobby Heenan, making it clear that we were dealing with a main event villain. The amazing thing was, to fans, Razor did not feel out of place. That group was 100% stars that had established themselves as top-tier villains for many years. Razor was so convincing in his portrayal that after only weeks, he was an organic fit at the top of the card. As Razor and Flair declared dominance, it was up to Randy Savage to find a partner to dispose of this evil force. The ultimate warrior, Savage's previous main event opponent, and the man who had once ended Savage's career via a match stipulation, answered the call, and with Macho Man, formed the ultimate maniacs. The main event of Razor's first pay-per-view in WWE, Survivor Series 1992, was announced as the ultimate maniacs versus Ric Flair and Razor Ramon. 
The Ultimate Maniacs would only have one match after their official formation, and it was on Saturday night's main event. As between Saturday night's main event and Survivor Series, the Ultimate Warrior would exit the WWE once more. The week before Survivor Series 92, after feeling as though his contributions were not being taken seriously, Mr. Perfect would leave his role as Ric Flair's executive consultant, get rid of his suit, put his wrestling gear back on, and fill in for the Warrior as Macho's partner at Survivor Series against Razor and Flair, turning on his villainous friends. Razor and Flair would end up losing the match at Survivor Series, but only by disqualification, as they would not stop double-teaming Macho and Perfect. Right before Survivor Series, Bret the Hitman Hart had been able to defeat Ric Flair and become WWE champion for the first time. 1993 would start with Razor Ramon in only his second WWE pay-per-view ever, getting the title match against the defending champion Hart. Bret Hart would be interrupted during one of his first in-arena interviews as champion by Ric Flair and Bobby Heenan, only for those two to make way for Razor Ramon. Even when face-to-face with Bret, Razor controlled the pace, still speaking slowly and methodically to deliver his points. After that altercation ended up in fisticuffs, Razor would then jump Bret's brother Owen Hart in the locker room while Owen was giving an interview. A week later, with Brett live in the arena for a television taping, Razor Ramon would interrupt, his face appearing on the big screen and saying, shut up, Chico, shut up, Chico. He called Owen a cockroach and told Brett that if he saw Brett's father stew in the street, well, then Razor would slap him too. Ramon lost to Bret Hart via the dreaded sharpshooter at the Royal Rumble. However, in less than six months, Ramon had been at odds with Macho Man, Bret Hart, and Mr. Perfect, and paired with the likes of Ric Flair and Bobby Heenan. To say it was being made clear that Razor Ramon was one of WWE's top acts would be an understatement. Also, it's worth noting, his match with Bret was great. He stood toe-to-toe and delivered with an opponent who by 1993 was already world famous for being a measuring stick when it came to great wrestling matches. After the Royal Rumble, Ric Flair would leave the WWE and Bobby Heenan would focus more on commentary before eventually leaving himself. Around the same time as the Rumble, WWE would debut their new show, Monday Night Raw, airing live every week from Manhattan. The live Monday night show differed dramatically as a televised presentation from the tape syndicated TV. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The fans were used to. Razor Ramon was a big part of the show, delivering in-ring and pre-tape promos, as well as winning a battle royal in February of 1993. In April, Razor Ramon would have his first WrestleMania match against Bob Backlund, a relic from WWE's golden era, that had said he planned on teaching some respect to Razor Ramon. On the other hand, Razor said that he told WWE officials he'd face anyone at WrestleMania. He didn't care. And Bob Backlund was who they came up with. The traditional, respectful, rule-following, 
carrot juice drinking, Harvard step test passing Bob Backlund was the opposite of Razor Ramon. And at WrestleMania 9, it was clear that the future was about cool and machismo. Razor threatened to carve Bob Backlund up. And metaphorically, he did. Not exactly a classic, but a victory nonetheless. And a bit of a detour as the macho man, Ric Flair, Bret Hart story came to a close. But it worked as an opportunity to get Razor showcased on the biggest show of the year and to get another one for Razor Ramon in the W column. Several weeks later, Razor had what would go down as the character's most memorable moment in WWE and the first true I remember when moment in the history of Monday Night Raw. WWE took full advantage of being on live television by delivering a shock. Razor Ramon was on the show to wrestle in an enhancement talent match against an athlete who had gone by various names over the last few weeks, including the Cannonball Kid and the Kamikaze Kid, and who had lost all of his previous matches, no different from any perennial enhancement talent. On this night, however, Razor was caught with a moonsault, a move never really done before in modern WWE. And the kid did the unthinkable. The jobber beat the superstar. Razor Ramon was pinned by the kid. Razor flew into a rage. Every fan in the Manhattan Center jumped out of their seat and in utter shock, the kid jumped for joy before escaping the ring as quickly as humanly possible. This simply did not happen in 1993. There was a clear separation between enhancement talent and superstars. Razor would show up on Raw next week explaining that his loss had been a total fluke. The audience chanted, one, two, three, one, two, three, as he spoke, probably what ended up naming the one, two, three kid. And Razor offered him $2,500 for a rematch. When the kid turned it down, Razor offered five grand. Then finally, 10 grand, which one, two, three kid could not say no to. The two had their rematch, which looked like it was going to start with another defeat for Razor. However, this time Razor was able to kick out of the moonsault. There was plenty of offense from the kid, but when the one, two, three kid realized that Razor's onslaught was just too much for him, the kid grabbed the bag of money at ringside and he fled the match. Razor chased the one, two, three kid out of the building, but he wasn't able to catch him. Razor Ramon did not lose, but he was not able to beat the one, two, three kid once and for all. And he lost his 10 grand. Before the one, two, three kid match, Razor also wrestled in the King of the Ring tournament, losing in the first round, but in another great pay-per-view match with Brett. Okay, so back to the story with the one, two, three kid. The headline moved from creating a new star to creating a pivotal change in the character of Razor Ramon. In July, Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase with IRS would come to the ring on Raw and talk about what a loser Razor Ramon was for losing to the one, two, three kid. They would talk about how stupid Razor Ramon was, especially because he lost the $10,000. When Razor turned down Ted DiBiase's money that DiBiase offered to Razor to do his domestic work, Ramon laid out DiBiase and IRS. DiBiase then challenged the one, two, three kid to a match in order to prove how much of a loser Razor Ramon was DiBiase said he was going to beat the one, two, three kid in about 30 seconds. Later that night, one, two, three kid was left not knowing who to trust when Razor Ramon and Money Incorporated showed up at ringside during his match. When DiBiase and the kid finally did meet, they finally had their match. It was Razor causing a distraction that allowed the kid to roll up Ted DiBiase and score another unthinkable win. With that, the one, two, three kid was a superstar and Razor Ramon, the bad guy, became a hero. Razor brought his heroics to SummerSlam that year, beating Ted DiBiase one-on-one -on -one in what would be DiBiase's last WWE match. After SummerSlam, Intercontinental Champion Shawn Michaels would leave WWE 
and President Jack Tunney announced a 20-man battle royal, which would be held on Raw, in which the final two participants would then meet in a match a week later, one-on-one, with the winner being declared the Intercontinental Champion. After Randy Savage, Giant Gonzalez, Mr. Perfect, Diesel, 1-2-3-Kid, and more were all eliminated, Rick the Model Martel and Razor Ramon were left standing. The next week, Razor defeated Martel, with Razor winning his first WWE title and becoming the Intercontinental Champion. Razor would develop a kinship with 1-2-3-Kid, as well as the kid's sometimes tag team partner, former rocker Marty Jannetty. Razor would team with the two, and ironically, Randy Savage, a year removed from their original tag battle, as a team captain at the 1993 Survivor Series, defeating IRS, Rick Martel, Adam Baum, and Diesel. Shawn Michaels would return to the WWE at Survivor Series, and after, he would begin arguing that he, not Razor, was the actual Intercontinental Champion, as Shawn had never been defeated. Shawn would wear his original Intercontinental title, while Razor wore the recognized title. Razor had a match with Shawn's bodyguard Diesel that Shawn interfered in, while Shawn had a match with 1-2-3-Kid that Razor interfered in. At one point, Shawn was able to execute the Razor's Edge finisher onto Ramon after Diesel had knocked out the bad guy with the dreaded right hand. At the Royal Rumble, Razor would defend the Intercontinental title against IRS. At one point, IRS was declared the winner after Shawn Michaels interfered, but Earl Hebner corrected the referee's mistake. The match continued with Razor successfully defending. Shawn and Razor continued to interfere in each other's matches until finally it was announced that at WrestleMania 10, both superstars' intercontinental titles would be hung above the ring and Razor Ramon and Shawn Michaels would compete in WWE's first ever pay-per-view ladder match. This is probably the most famous single match in Razor Ramon's WWE career, a prototype for a type of match that would become a WWE staple. It goes down as one of the most memorable and important matches in WrestleMania history. Diesel came to the ring in Shawn Michaels' corner, but was thrown out after interfering. And eventually, after a classic 10 out of 10 barn burner of a match, it was Razor that climbed the ladder and iconically held both titles in the air, standing up top as the winner of the first WWE ladder match. Razor's rivalry would continue, only now with Diesel picking up much of the physicality. Sean would start to demand that Diesel get a title match and that Razor was scared. Announcer Jerry the King Lawler confronted Razor on the issue, which led to Diesel getting the match and actually defeating Razor Ramon on WWE Superstars to become the new Intercontinental Champion. Later, Razor Ramon defeated Quang to qualify for the 1994 King of the Ring tournament, where he beat Bam Bam Bigelow in the first round and IRS in the second round, only to lose in the finals to Owen Hart after interference from a returning Jim the Anvil Neidhart. Over the summer, his rivalry with Shawn Michaels and Diesel would reignite. At SummerSlam, with NFL legend Walter Payton in his corner and with Walter Sweetness Payton wearing the iconic yellow and white all-over-print Razor Ramon t-shirt, Razor Ramon would finally regain the Intercontinental Championship from Diesel after Shawn Michaels tried to interfere but accidentally landed sweet chin music on his own bodyguard, Big Daddy Cool. Razor reigned as a heroic Intercontinental Champion, defeating enhancement talent as well as other challengers like Owen Hart and Tatanka. At the end of October... He and the 123Kid teamed to face Diesel and Shawn Michaels on WWE's new show, Action Zone, in an absolute classic. I would definitely recommend you seek this match out. At the 1994 Survivor Series, Razor would be the captain of his team, The Bad Guys, on which he joined 123Kid, the British Bulldog, and the Head Shrinkers. 
the bad guys would defeat the Teamsters, Shawn Michaels, Diesel, Jeff Jarrett, Owen Hart, and Jim Neidhart, in a match that would mark the official breakup of Shawn Michaels and Diesel. Following Survivor Series, Razor would start a rivalry with Jeff Jarrett, who had introduced his new second, the Roadie. Jeff Jarrett was able to beat Razor for the Intercontinental title at the 1995 Royal Rumble. And after a few more altercations with Double J, the roadie, and even a villainous Bob Backlund, Razor was able to get an Intercontinental title rematch at WrestleMania 11, which he won, but only by disqualification after the roadie's interference. So he did not get the championship back. At this point, the 123 kid was watching Razor's back as Double J had the roadie. Razor got some revenge beating the roadie and Jeff Jarrett in a handicap match at the first In Your House pay-per-view, where Savio Vega debuted to help Razor after the match. Savio was introduced as Razor Ramon's longtime friend. Razor then became the first ever three-time Intercontinental Champion after beating Jeff Jarrett in a ladder match at a house show in Quebec. However, Jarrett won the title back three days later, also at a house show. After a rib injury, Razor would act as a manager to Savio Vega at the 1995 King of the Ring, and upon returning, would team with Vega in losing efforts both at In Your House 2 and in a tag team title match against Owen Hart and Yokozuna on Monday Night Raw. For SummerSlam 1995, although by this point they had become friends, new WWE president Gorilla Monsoon decided to put then-Intercontinental champion Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon together in a ladder match rematch. This was put forth as something that was being done for the fans. And instead of two rivals competing, it was two friends competing uh, in this toned down version of what they had done at WrestleMania 10 in terms of using the ladder as a weapon. But this is still a great match. Razor started a rivalry next with the evil professor, Dean Douglas. The Dean was able to beat Razor in your house three after the one, two, three kid came out to help Razor, but proved to be a distraction. One, two, three kid took umbrage with Razor being annoyed at kids' bad timing. And after the match, the two got into a, a, a shoving match. Razor and the kid took their fight to Monday Night Raw and they had a match with each other in which Razor beat the kid, but the kid wanted more. He wouldn't allow the match to end like that. So Razor beat him again. Still a second time, the kid stood up as if to say nothing's over. However, after the third time, the one, two, three kid's body did not cooperate with his fortitude. And so the two embraced and reconciled after Razor Ramon had officially won the match. At In Your House 4, Shawn Michaels announced that he could not compete due to an assault on him at a bar in Syracuse. He had to give up the Intercontinental title to challenger Dean Douglas. However, Douglas's number one contender was instantly announced as Razor Ramon, who beat Douglas on the very same night to become a four-time Intercontinental champion. Razor would defeat Owen Hart by disqualification a couple of weeks later on Raw, then lost a non-title match to Psycho Sid after a fast count from special guest referee, the one Two, three, kid. Razor and the kid, it was reported by commentary, had had multiple altercations while on tour, which had apparently manifested in the kid costing Razor his match with Sid. The one, two, three kid then joined forces with Sid and Ted DiBiase in the Million Dollar Corporation. After taking the $100 bill that Ted DiBiase had stuffed in out of Razor Ramon's mouth. The one, two, three kid was a villain. At Survivor Series 1995, Razor participated in the wild card match with Yokozuna, Owen Hart, and Dean Douglas as his partners, losing to Shawn Michaels, Ahmed Johnson, the British Bulldog, and Sid. None of the partners got along anyway, and the one, two, three kid coming to ringside was the distraction that caused Razor Ramon to get eliminated from his team. The one, two, three kid continued to interfere in Razor's matches and vice versa. At In Your House 5, Razor and Marty Jannetty would defeat the 1-2-3 kid and Sid. However, as it was happening, Goldust 
who had debuted a month earlier, was shown at ringside watching the match and said he was keeping his eye on Razor. He also had a note passed to Razor, which was given to the bad guy after the match who read it silently and then stormed off. Razor competed in the first and only Raw Bowl match alongside Savio Vega with 1-2-3-Kid and Sid, as well as Owen Hart and Yokozuna all losing to the Smoking Guns, a historic first-time attempt at a match type that maybe wouldn't go on to be quite as famous as the latter match. Razor was delivered, though, a bouquet of gold roses here by Goldust's usher. However, Razor threw down the roses and beat the usher up for delivering them. The mind games would continue with Goldust at one point zipping down his bodysuit following a match to reveal a red heart painted on his chest with the word Razor on it. Goldust told Vince McMahon he wanted Razor more than anyone could want any man or woman. Razor was disgusted and angry by this, at one point saying he didn't want his kids seeing a man like Goldust on television. And yes, Razor somehow was the good guy here. Goldust's advances were chalked up to mind games, which apparently paid off, as after the 1-2-3 kid interfered, Razor Ramon lost the Intercontinental Championship to Goldust at the 1996 Royal Rumble pay-per-view. Razor got a match the next night on Raw against Hunter Hearst Helmsley, but lost via countout after chasing 1-2-3-Kid away from ringside. Although there wasn't any specific evidence of Razor whining about losing his title to Goldust, the kid and Ted DiBiase began calling Razor a crybaby for losing the Intercontinental Championship. When you look back at Razor Ramon's career, one thing is clear. For some inexplicable reason, Ted DiBiase hated Razor Ramon and was obsessed, by the way, with the 1-2-3 kid. Maybe it was Razor's masculine energy, his machismo. Maybe it was because Razor was a self-made success and DiBiase most likely came from generational wealth. But whatever it was, so much of Razor's troubles came from the fact that DiBiase has a historic problem with him. At one point, 1-2-3-Kid shoved a baby bottle into Razor Ramon's mouth mid-match because Razor was apparently such a crybaby. That, however, was the final straw. And at In Your House 6, the match was made. The kid and Razor settled their beef the only way one can do in a crybaby match, which Razor won. The stipulation being, obviously, that the loser must wear a diaper. The one, two, three kid lost after trying to use baby powder, which was kicked into his own face. So the one, two, three kid covered in baby powder wearing a diaper, stood in the ring post-match and due to embarrassment began to openly cry. This humiliation directly traceable to the toxic influence of Ted DiBiase. After In Your House 6, Razor Ramon was able to beat Goldust by countout on a match on Raw after Goldust left the match. But that also meant he didn't get his title back. Razor grabbed the mic and he began planting the seed for what sounded like it could lead to a Miami street fight at WrestleMania 12. This match never happened, however, as Razor would disappear from television after this, out of storyline, apparently due to a wellness policy violation. When Razor Ramon did come back, he lost to Vader at In Your House, Good Friends, Better Enemies, in what would be his last televised match in WWE until WCW eventually went under. Of course, before he left, he had to change everything in wrestling for just a quick second. On May 19th, at a Madison Square Garden house show, Razor Ramon was pinned by Hunter Hearst Helmsley in Razor's last WWE match. Later in the night, Shawn Michaels beat Diesel in a steel cage match. May 19th, 
was also Diesel's last night in WWE. And after the match, real-life friends, Razor and Hunter Hearst Helmsley, joined Diesel and Shawn Michaels in the ring to embrace and take a bow for the audience in, in an event that's now known as the Curtain Call or Farewell to the Click. This was an unheard of act, still controversial by today's standards. Good guys and bad guys together breaking kayfabe as blatantly as anyone could. It's still up for debate whether they were killing the business or setting things on a course towards the future. Either way, they gave the crowd something to talk about. What's interesting to me about this moment is it didn't actually break the Razor Ramon character. It actually set the character up for what was to come. Because while another superstar would eventually debut for a short period of time later that year, calling himself Razor Ramon, the chronology of that character has absolutely nothing to do with this one. No one would confuse the two and no one would ever believe that that character accomplished any of what we've discussed here. I don't even think that we were meant to believe that. However, a week after the farewell to the click incident, when Scott Hall debuted on Nitro, this was not a departure from the Razor Ramon character. When Scott Hall showed up, he came through the crowd wearing a denim vest similar to the vests worn by Razor Ramon. He had his hair slicked back with a toothpick behind his ear. He would even throw the toothpick at Sting a week or so later, just like Razor always did. He still had, albeit now much more subtle, his fake Cuban accent. And most importantly, he uttered the words, you know who I am, but you don't know why I'm here. WCW pushed the legal line as much as they could as to how far they could go with both Scott Hall and Kevin Nash when they first invaded WCW as the outsiders. After legal threats from WWE, Hall and Nash both had to flat out say on the Great American Bash pay-per-view that although they were outsiders and they were invading WCW and they were taking over, they did not work for WWE. However, what was truly revolutionary about the Outsiders and what would be for the NWO just a few weeks later was that Scott Hall was the same character that he was in WWE. The WCW character, Scott Hall, played the man who played the character, Razor Ramon. So with the advent of hindsight, we learned that the Razor Ramon character was actually a character being played by another character named Scott Hall of the Outsiders, who we, we would see in WCW. When Goldust came to WWE, WCW's The Natural Dustin Rhodes stayed in WCW. When Blacktop Bully came to WCW, WWE's The Repo Man stayed behind, just as Demolition Smash stayed behind when The Repo Man showed up. Scott Hall actually played the man playing Razor Ramon in a brain-exploding meta-experiment that paid off 200-fold. Of course, Scott would be joined by Kevin Nash, whose character had the same relationship with Diesel that Scott's character did with Razor. As cool as Razor Ramon was, the NWO with Scott Hall as a centerpiece would reach new heights of mainstream cool. The NWO did for 90s wrestling what Hulkamania did for 80s wrestling. However, this time, instead of Hulk Hogan being the centerpiece, Hollywood Hogan benefited from the cool being brought by Hall and Nash. The beginning of the NWO was arguably the best angle in the history of professional wrestling. It felt real, it felt different, and it felt unpredictable. Hall and Nash, as the outsiders, would be the most dominant tag team in wrestling. They would reinvigorate the career of Hulk Hogan as the NWO became official. Everything was different. 
The vignettes were stripped down and sounded like regular people talking. The merch actually looked cool, evident by the fact that people still wear NWO shirts to this day. Scott Hall's, I'm so scared, finger shakes, his side points, everything is still used today. I would go as far as to say, if Scott Hall didn't wave the wolf pack hand gesture in such a cool way, it would not still be on t-shirts and used by wrestlers as too sweet right now. Hall and Nash attacking Eric Bischoff at Great American Bash had the entire wrestling world talking. They destroyed the entire roster of WCW and brought the 1-2-3 kid with them as six-pack. Of course, Hall and Nash as the outsiders might as well have had the WCW Tag Team Championship tattooed on them. But as a single star, Scott Hall won a World War III Battle Royal. He got a title shot against Sting and at one point even became rivals with Kevin Nash after the NWO split into two groups, Hollywood and Wolfpack. Hall would come back together with Nash again when he helped Nash win the WCW championship with Nash ending Goldberg's undefeated streak. He was a multi-time United States champion, beating Roddy Piper for the title at one point. And to this day, survey time is one of the most beloved and known regular promos in history. Because honestly, how many of us ever showed up to see WCW? And how many of us showed up to see the N-W-O? Hall did a couple of appearances for ECW, coming out to the Fuji's Ready or Not, which is amazing footage if you haven't seen it. And for a short time, was part of the NWO's relaunch in WWE, facing Stone Cold Steve Austin at WrestleMania 18 and receiving one of the best Stone Cold stunners of all time. In 2014, Razor Ramon was put into the WWE Hall of Fame. And after a career as storied as his, gave one of the most concise and poignant Hall of Fame speeches of all time. As he put it, in my lifetime, I've learned hard work pays off. Dreams come true. Bad times don't last, but bad guys do. So the question we're left with, does Razor Ramon deserve all of this remembrance? Survey says another one for the good guys. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been Not Sam Wrestling. Not Sam.